are grateful always for your word. We are grateful for your work in our lives. We ask that you would uh, bless this time as we understand what has been read to us, as we understand what is in your word, as we understand how you call us to live. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Is my microphone on? It feels like it's gone off. It's okay? Okay. We'll keep going then. You know, magic, magic is, is very popular, isn't it? Magic is popular because it wows us, right? But magicians these days have a, a challenging task, right? They have to keep coming up with new ways of how to do something that seems like it is real, but it's really a trick. Now, I say seems like it is really real because we know that magic is not real. I mean, they don't really do the things we think they do. They trick us somehow. Like, when we were watching America's Got Talent, there was this, uh, in fact, Doug and I were talking about this the other day. There's this magician, and he had this cell phone, and he, he had a picture of a glass with some fluid in it in, on his cell phone. And then he took the cell phone, and he started to pour fluid into a glass out of his cell phone. Now, we knew that there's no liquid in the cell phone, but he made it appear that there was fluid coming out of the cell phone. Really, really amazing, right? And so we're in wow, we're in wonderment. How did he do this? Well, I mention that because as we come to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, he starts to wow the people with what he does. And some believe him to be like a magician, like a sorcerer. They don't understand how he does what he does. They have doubts about who he is. They don't know if he's really the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, come to bring salvation to the world. And so they look at Jesus in this way, like maybe he's just some magician trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Well, we talked last week about Jesus' baptism, and then after that, he had temptation in the wilderness. And after the temptation, and he overcame Satan, he began his ministry. But we are told that he did not go back to Nazareth, his hometown. He left his hometown to go elsewhere to begin his ministry. And there's really three reasons why he did this. The first reason is because right after his baptism, John the Baptist got arrested. And because of Jesus' close connection with John the Baptist, it wasn't really safe for him to go back and begin his ministry there. But the second thing is that what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 57, when he actually goes back to his hometown, it says, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, his own town, and in his own home. See, Jesus understood that it was better to go away from the people who knew him best. The people would probably have the most difficulty seeing Jesus as this carpenter, just this normal person, and then all of a sudden rising up and saying, I'm the Son of God, and I bring salvation to you. He knew that that would be a difficult task for them to change their thinking, and so he didn't begin his ministry in his hometown. But there is a third reason that Jesus does this. And that is because it was prophesied that he would go 
somewhere else. It was prophesied that he would go to another place other than his hometown. We see that in Isaiah. He goes to Galilee, a city that is small but is heavenly populated, a city that is open to new ideas, a place where they are ready to hear and receive this new message that Jesus has to bring. See, the characteristics of the Gentiles, or the Gentiles or the non-Jews in Galilee, were that they were a fertile ground for this new teaching. So Jesus goes to Galilee to begin his ministry and to spread his message. I have a little encouragement for you. If you're trying to witness to someone, if you're trying to share your story, if you're trying to share the gospel with someone, and they're not open to it, then let God lead you to someone new. Don't keep knocking your head against the wall trying to share with this person who's not receiving it. That doesn't mean you forever forget them. Maybe God will bring you back to them, or maybe God will use someone else in their life from the seed that you planted. But don't just keep trying to share the gospel with someone if they're not open to it. Go to a place where people are open to hear this new message. Now, Galilee was also a city, like I said, filled with Gentiles not followers of God. They are in great need of the gospel that that Jesus would bring to them. They're in need of a change of lifestyle. They were lost and needed a savior as much as anyone in the region. So in coming to Galilee, Jesus comes to a place that is populated, open to new ideas, people of courage, not afraid to change, and those who are in need of this message. And so Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecy that is spoken in Isaiah 9. I often hear people say, you know, I have trouble believing in Jesus because there's no way to prove that he was really the Son of God, that he was really the Messiah. And that's not true. One of the greatest proofs that show us that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, come to save us from our sins, is the fact that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies prophesied about him hundreds of years before he ever came to this earth. Amazing to see Jesus fulfill prophecy after prophecy after prophecy is great proof that he truly is the Messiah. And so we read in Isaiah 9, 1-2, and again, reminder, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, we'll get to the light and the darkness theme in a moment. But let's see first how Jesus coming to Galilee fulfills this prophecy. Galilee was a city that was under gloom and distress because they had been conquered many times by enemies. And the prophecy says that there will be one that will come in the future who will bring honor to Galilee and a light will dawn for them. And this one that is to come is Jesus. As I said before, Galilee was filled with Gentiles, not followers of God. Their their lifestyle was not holy. They did not know the prophecies of a coming Messiah. They were not waiting for a Messiah to come. But rather, they were living a very secular and sinful life. 
Their hearts were not even ready for the coming of a Messiah. And yet Jesus chose to come to them. They also were in darkness because they had been oppressed for many years. And they had great sin in their life. When people see that Jesus goes to Galilee first, they wonder, why didn't Jesus go to the Jews first? Aren't we the people of God? Why didn't he come to see us first? Why didn't he speak his message to us? Here, Matthew gives the answer. Because it was prophesied that he would go to Galilee first to proclaim his message, to start his ministry, to get the, the ball rolling. The one who has come to seek out sinners will certainly find Sinners in the city of Galilee. It is to this place of darkness that Jesus comes, and as Matthew says in verse 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. First, the light that they see is Jesus himself. Jesus, holy and perfect, God in the flesh. Jesus bringing truth and, and righteousness and love to the people. Jesus is the one who will save and the one who will help people see their sinfulness and need for salvation. As Jesus comes to Galilee, they surely will see a great light shining forth in its dark place in contrast to all that they know and believe. But second, his message brings light. The message will be a call to those who are in darkness and he will expose the darkness and help them to understand that they are in darkness. See, the problem with so many, you might have become having conversations with people, but oftentimes what we don't realize is that most people that we're trying to talk to that don't know Jesus, they don't even know what, that they're in darkness. They don't even know that they're walking in sin. We have to help them understand what sin is. And how walking in this sin is walking in darkness. How walking in the sin and the, and the influences they have in their life actually leading them to destruction. They don't think that they need to be saved. And so you can't really witness to someone, you can't really share your story with someone and have them change their heart until they understand that there needs to be a change in their life. And so we need to point them to Jesus to help them to see that light, that, that the light of Jesus can shine in their life and help them to see the darkness that is there. The light of Jesus helps to show this truth and what is light and what is darkness. What is a way that brings about, how do you live in a way that really brings about life? And how do you live in a way, in a way that kind of leads you into death? I was talking with a friend the other day, and she just told me how she, was, she realized she had become this person that she did not like. She did not want to be the person she had become. She realized that she had bad influences in her life and that she had become someone she did not want to be. And so we talked about how Jesus can come into her life and can shine that light on that darkness in her life and can shine the light towards the path to which she needs to go down the better way to live, the way that she wants to be, the person that she wants to become, she can become in and through Jesus. This is even more true for those who don't know Jesus. As I said before, many people don't even know that they're living a sinful life. 
They don't know that they are lost and in darkness. They don't know that they are needing a change and that what they are doing is not helpful, but is actually living a destructive life. So Jesus comes to Galilee, and he says in Matthew 4, 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We see that Jesus is preaching to them. He's speaking to them with authority. He's proclaiming the truth and helping the people to see the truth. He is speaking boldly and profoundly about life and about change. He is not shying away from telling people that what they are doing is wrong, how they are living is not good. He is calling on the people to repent. Now, you've probably heard this word many times, but let me delve into it just a little bit. It comes from the Greek word metanoite, and it means to change one's mind or purpose. To change one's mind or purpose. So Jesus is calling the people to change their mind, to change the purpose they have for their life. The way they are living is not acceptable because it's not the way that God created them to live. The whole purpose for Jesus' coming is because the world was lost and in sin, and he wanted to lead them down this new path. So he shines his light on, in a way that shows that there is a better way, a better path to follow. If you're in a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, oftentimes you, you'll find out that there's a part of their life that they're not happy with. They're not content in their life. Maybe they are feeling lost or depressed or, or stuck or lonely or feeling like they have no purpose in life. They don't think that they're walking in darkness, but in some way there is darkness in their life that needs to be pointed out. Somehow Jesus needs to show them that darkness in their life that is leading them down this path where they are lonely or depressed or stuck or, or feeling lost in some way. We need to ultimately get them to a place where they see their lostness and how in Jesus they can find their way. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's a part of you that feels a little lost, a little stuck. Maybe you need Jesus to shine his light on you in that way, to say this part of your life is not good, is not right. This part needs to be changed. You need to have a change of perspective, a change of mind, a change of purpose in this part of your life. So when we repent, we repent because we admit, we admit that we are wrong and that we need to go a new direction. We need to follow a better path, a new and better way to life. When we repent, we understand that our frame of mind is not correct, but God has a better way for us to think. This is all because the kingdom of heaven has come near, Jesus says. It's come near in Jesus. Jesus is shining his light, his truth, his holy and righteous presence on people's sin. Right? Have you ever been in a place where you feel a little uncomfortable, right? Maybe someone's preaching a sermon and you feel a little uncomfortable, or you're reading the Bible and you feel a little comfortable, or you're praying and you feel a little comfortable. That's Jesus shining his very light, his very presence on you and exposing your sin. And that's a good thing, to feel uncomfortable, to have our sin exposed. I thought we'd play around with this a little bit. Proverbs 6, 16, and 19. Read that first part with me. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, 
a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are the, the seven deadly sins, right? It doesn't take much to read this and understand that we all struggle with these sins, sins of pride and lying and hurting others, wicked schemes, rushing to doing things that we shouldn't do, speaking falsely about others, which includes gossip, stirring up conflict. We might not think that we do these willfully, but the truth is we all sin in many of these ways. And these are just seven sins that I put on the, on the screen, right? We all have areas in our life where maybe we're struggling, and maybe it's like, yes, yes, I do that. Oh, Lord, I, I shouldn't do that, but I do that. I know I do that, Lord. Help me to not do that, right? That's where repenting is. Lord, I shouldn't do this. Help me to do this. Help me to change my mind. I shouldn't be this way. I should be this way. I, to do that, I need to change my perspective. I need to repent. I need to change my purpose. Live according to the way that God calls us to live. So, we get to the last little section of Matthew 4, and we see that Jesus, up to this point, doesn't have disciples, right? He's just started his ministry. He's preaching the gospel, and now he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he's in Galilee. So he's walking along the Sea of Galilee one day, and he's getting ready to call his disciples, people he will train to carry on his plan, to carry on his mission, and he calls out to two fishermen, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. They're fishing. They're doing the business of the day. And we're told in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, come. He probably has to shout it because they're out in the boat, right, on the sea. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send, out to, send you out to fish for people. Now, can you imagine? Let's say that this is like the shore. Okay, here's the water. And, and he's standing on there, and there's people out in boats, right? They're fishing. And he shouts out, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. What? You talking to me? me? Me and my brother? What was it? You know, I mean, it's like he's just shouting out to them on the boat, right? Or put it another way. Let's say you're walking down the street, and you see a couple people on a, on a light post, right? They're fixing the light, Right? And you call out to them, hey, come on down, and I'll show you the light, and I'll show you how to show other people the light. Right? What do you think they would say to you? What they say to you, we might not even be able to say in church here today. I'm not sure we'd be able to repeat that. But they probably wouldn't just jump down the pole and say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I'll follow you. Where are you going? What do you want to teach me? Right? Now, of course, we're not Jesus, but that kind of puts it into perspective. See, this is what happens next. Read the yellow with me. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their boat. They left their business. They left their family. In six months, right? Isn't that what it says? Six months, they, they said, let me fish for six months, and then... No, it says immediately. Isn't that amazing? That's the big difference between Jesus and you and me, right? 
Jesus had this aura about him. He had this authority about him. He was the, the son of God in the flesh. There was something about him that, Jesus, that people connected to, right? And so when he called out to them, there was something that drew them in and drew them to Jesus to want to follow him. He was the one who exhibited a holiness and authority that led people to respond in this way. So again, I say, don't talk so much about yourself. Talk about Jesus. Talk about what Jesus has done for you. Point them to Jesus, right? It's not follow me, it's follow Jesus. And that is what our message should be. A couple weeks ago, I challenged us, and I said, as we go through this Gospel of Matthew, I want us to think about being disciples, right? I want us to kind of walk with Jesus as the disciples walked, and I want us to try to learn from Jesus what the disciples learned so that we could be disciples of Jesus. So what does it mean for us to be disciples? Well, over the whole course of the Gospel of Matthew, we will answer this question. But I do want to mention a few things here just this morning to close up. First of all, we need to be one who repents regularly, recognizing our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness. Right? That's what a disciple does. Regularly, you, you evaluate your life and you say, is there anything in me, Lord, that is unfitting for service to you? And I need to repent and I need to receive God's cleansing and forgiveness of my, sin, of my sins. Secondly, as a disciple, we're to let Jesus shine his light on the path he asked for us, Right? It's a difference between saying, I want to go here, or saying, Jesus, where do you want me to go? And then Jesus pointing the light, and then us going down the path where Jesus, that's what a disciple does, follows that path. Third, we are to live as kingdom people. And what that means is that we understand that God is our Father, Jesus is our Savior, the Holy Spirit is our convictor and our guide, and that we are trying to bring the kingdom of heaven here onto earth. Bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. That's what a disciple does. And lastly, we are to follow Jesus and help make more followers of his. That is his call. That is the command in our life. We are to follow Jesus, and then whenever Jesus brings people into our life, we are to try to share the gospel with them so that they can become followers of his. So as Jesus continues to do his ministry in Galilee with his teaching and his healing, great crowds start to come to him. He becomes a celebrity of sorts. His fame is spread throughout the region, it says. Now, there wasn't the radio or the television or the internet in those days, and yet we are told in the scriptures his fame spread throughout the region and people came to see him, to see and hear this profound teacher, this miracle worker, this Magician, maybe, right? One of the things I think that benefited Billy Graham um, in the latter part of his ministry is he became well-known, right? I mean, basically, everyone knew the name Billy Graham. And so if he came into a city and was doing a crusade, and you said, would you like to go to the Billy Graham crusade with me? People had heard of Billy Graham. And so a lot of people just went because he was a celebrity. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see him. And so they went to experience what he had to say. And this is kind of similar to what happened with Jesus. They heard about Jesus, and they went to just see what he did, to watch the works he did, the miracles, the healings, his speaking with authority, this new message he was bringing. 
Now, not everybody who came to see Jesus became his disciple. We need to make sure we understand that there were crowds who followed him and there were disciples who followed them, right? Are we going to be a part of that crowd that's just wowed by Jesus, taken in by him? Are we going to be that disciple that follows Jesus and says, I want to do what Jesus calls me to do? There's a difference between those two groups of people. I'm going to show a a video clip here uh, for a moment. And so... Um, let's just take a moment to do that. Simon, I have a gift for you too, but you can't open it just yet. First, together, we're going to build a snowman. I've drawn a bunch of them here, but I've done it in an interesting way. I've divided it into three separate parts. So I started by drawing lots of different snowman faces and hats. They're all different and no two are alike. I also did the same thing in the middle with the different snowman arms and bodies, all different. Same thing at the bottom. Now we can use this to create our very own unique snowman simply by choosing one part from each section, like this, yeah. for example. Got it. Heidi, we're going to start with you. Okay. I'm just going to go through the pages, and anytime you like, just take your finger and push it in as I go through, all right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I stopped there. Are you sure you want that one, or you want to keep going? Okay, I keep going. Totally up to you. I keep going. Okay. Right there, that's yeah. the one you want? Uh-huh. Okay, let's see how you did. You got the red buttons there, four of them. Awesome. Mel, you'll be next anytime you like. Just go ahead and push your finger in, please. Right there? Yes. Excellent. Got the stick arms and a blue tie with four yellow stars. Perfect. Howie. Yeah. Don't worry, I won't make you touch it. All oh, right. Good. Anytime you like, as I go through, just say stop. Stop. Right there? Right you can go there. Go further if you want. No, I don't want to touch anything. That's go the ahead. one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> awesome. You got a Santa hat carrot nose, and a crooked smile, which makes it very unique. Right. Tons of different options. Now, this gift has been here the entire time. Simon, would you mind coming on over, please? Just so you know, there's nothing funny. I won't even do it. Stand right over here, please, and carefully, just go ahead and lift off the lid to reveal what's inside. Go ahead. It's not going to bite me. No, just pull it off. Maybe two hands. There you go. (laughs) Is it the same? We did it. Now take a close look. Four red buttons, the blue tie, the yellow stars, the same face, a perfect match. That's pretty cool. We did it. You did not do it. Yes, I did. But wait a second. I don't want you to think this is some sort of trick box or luck or coincidence. You know, I knew long in advance that this is the snowman that you would build. Simon, if you go back to your seat here, I want you to find under your desk. Yeah. You should find a Christmas card for me. In fact, all of you, if you reach under your desk now, you should find a Christmas card. Even more, everyone here at the Dolby Theater now, reach under your chairs. You should find a Christmas card, an envelope. Open it up now. And you will find a snowman that matches exactly. Hold them up for the cameras for me. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Now that's pretty amazing, right? And you're like, wow, how does he do that? That's magic, right? How does he do that, right? 
Remember, Heidi stopped and he said, do you want to keep going? She's like, keep going. She could have stopped there. It would have been a different uh, base, right? And so Matt Franco, by the way, is one of our favorite magicians that we like. But you know what's interesting is that a lot of people viewed Jesus in this way, right? Or sometimes that people might come to us or to you and they might say, will you pray for healing for me? Because I know that Jesus, you know, maybe he'll heal me, right? And then that's all they want from Jesus. They just want what Jesus can do for them, right? He's some sort of magician or sorcerer that can do this. And they're not really interested in, in Jesus changing their life. They're not really interested in per- repenting and, and being a disciple. They just want whatever Jesus can give them, right? We need to understand that Jesus was not a magician. He was God in the flesh, come to save us from our sins. And we are called to follow him by regularly repenting of our sins following the path that God, Christ has for us and sharing his truth so that we can make disciples of Christ. That is our call as disciples. That is the best path we could ever live. And I pray that you would be challenged and encouraged by this today, that you would become even a deeper disciple of his and be committed to making other disciples. Let us pray.